Extra Life unites thousands of gamers around the world to play games in support of their local Children's Miracle Network hospital. Since 2008, Extra Life has raised more than $40 million for sick and injured kids. Visit geektherapy.com slash extra life to learn more and join us on November 3rd in raising funds to help kids. Welcome to Head Chassis Psychology and Gaming Show on the Geek Therapy Network. My name is Jose Cardona with Lauren Keller. Hello. Lauren, today we're going to talk about a very serious topic, something that concerns me. I believe it concerns you as well. Mm-hmm. It is the topic of video game preservation. Yeah, it's important. Why is it a problem? Why is it a problem? Yeah. Okay, so that's that's a, a big point to start at. It's, it's a mm-hmm. problem because uh, video games... And the um, the formats that they are saved on uh, are not intended to last forever. And CDs and video game cartridges eventually deteriorate to the point where you can't access the information on them anymore. And uh, that is bad if you want to be able to play games that are more than 10 years old. I went to my mom's house yesterday and I was very, very excited when she told me, listen, there's a bag over there with some stuff in it. I think you might want to take a look. What did Ooh, I find? Ooh, mystery. I found an N64 <gasps> with a lot of controllers. <gasps> Two Sega Genesis, one oh. with a Sega CD on it. <laughs> oh. And our old NES with... With two of the light guns, which is weird. I don't understand why we would have two of the two light guns. Two light guns. Yeah, wow. the orange ones. Not the gray one. It was two of the orange ones, wow. which is my favorite. Yeah. And and it was funny because right before, you know, we, we had this conversation. And the question that my mom asked me, my girlfriend asked me was like, well, those things work? And I have no idea. I have, I have <laughs> no idea if they're going to work. And actually, uh, I when I moved recently, I brought all my rock band stuff and... I finally set it up like three weeks ago and the guitar didn't work and neither do the drums. Oh no. How am I going to play rock band? Just with the the microphone. I know. That's what I've been doing. But uh, (laughs) like that, that is such a strange version of game preservation where it's like, I can't even play this particular video game that I own on a current console because the controllers are kind of hard to find and super expensive. (laughs) Yeah. So I can't play it as intended. That's weird. Yeah. <laughs> Only games have this um this issue. I mean, th- you can compare it sort of to other mediums, but uh yeah. it's special for video games because of how many different technologies have been involved in games since the beginning. Yeah, definitely and, and games preservation isn't just about the the games themselves or the consoles or the controllers it's also all of the advertising it's the notes that the developers make it's press kits it's uh, demos it's you know reviews that come out in magazines like all of that stuff gives you a holistic understanding of a game and when it came out and losing you know, losing some of that information is okay because you can recover it through other sources. But, you know, the further away we get from it, the harder it is to save any of that stuff. And, um, you know, like there there are people who can probably fix your, your drum kit or your guitar controller. But, um, you know, it, 10 years from now, even if that's still true, you might not be able to get a working 360 or, <laughs> or anything like that to be yeah. able to actually play it. Yeah. 
the the idea of all the coverage that we take for granted right now because mm-hmm. there's so many people talking about video games now there's video game analysis we have youtube so much coverage i i i, I still find it funny when i see or, or i read a video game article from forbes for example mm-hmm. you know i'm like what, yeah. what you know i read a lot of their stuff actually <laughs> related <laughs> to gaming but it's still it's still funny it's like okay now everybody covers video games i once met that guy who covers video games at the new york times it was like oh I didn't, I didn't know you did that. Yeah. But that's normal now, right? That's you, you need to have that as part of your well-rounded media coverage strategy. I don't know. When I was a kid, you could get Nintendo Power in the mail. Mm-hmm. I subscribed to GamePro. That was kind of it, you know? Like there was and whatever fit in there, that, that was it. There was so much more going on that I've learned about now because of these conversations that are going on, talking about the advertisements and the media coverage that, that is kind of lost yeah, yeah, that stuff is very much more about the the context of a game, understanding, um, you know, current events that inspired yeah, a game yeah. being made, or the the responses from players or reviewers to the game. All of that stuff uh, is, is important contextual information. I, I think of it sort of like art history. Um, I took an art history class in in community college and, you know, talking about like a famous artist who has a famous painting or sculpture that everybody knows about. But then if you are really interested in that person, you go and you find all of their smaller works and you find, uh, you know, like what school w- were they going to or um, do they have notebooks where you can look at, you know, their ideas in progress and see what things were made and what things were left behind and, and all of that stuff. And then, you know, in art, art history class, taking that idea about the artist and putting it in the context of, you know, their their social groups and their society and, uh, you know, religion and family interactions and all of that stuff. So you can really get an understanding of how a piece of art was created and what it meant to the people then and what it means to the people now. And if you don't have all of that side context stuff, it gets really, really hard to the point of being impossible. And so that's, that is why games preservation is so important. And it's becoming um, a bigger topic because games themselves have become so so important to our culture and so uh like totally involved in in most people's lives like even people who are like oh i don't play video games but i'm like "Mm, i see you playing words with friends on your iphone you play games that game matters too this is technically the third episode in a row where we're talking about kind of the the memory of games Mm -hmm. in a way and i mean in the last episode when we talked about memorable game deaths like it would be kind of cool to be able to either relive that experience right now mm-hmm. with the context of you know how things were back then by looking at that information right not only your own memories but everything else that was going on that adds to it you know how many of of those stories that you heard are one and done you know maybe someone can't recreate that again because yeah. it's it's impossible I don't know. That's sad. That's super sad. <laughs> we spent the whole hour talking about, you know, like the memories that we have, like meaningful memories. And it's hard to, it's hard to go t- to remember. Our memories suck. Yeah. And if we don't have that extra, that extra uh, material. It's really hard. Yes. Yeah. It's, and it, I mean, it's important for understanding how the industry has changed over the years and how genres have changed and, and players' expectations you know, like I don't, I don't know what game first 
uh, had DLC, but DLC is a major aspect of video games now. And <laughs> I mean, I'm sure I could look it up and find out, but if we weren't doing preservation for this kind of stuff, that would just be sort of the assumed like, well, all games have DLC. All games have loot boxes because that's what it is now. And so it must have always been that way. And not realizing like the economic and ideological influences that that impact the way games get made and and what what gets put into games. That reminds me of the fact that you cannot actually experience a game at every single point like forget dlc like what what is dlc like a patch you know is an update dlc Mm -hmm. i i I feel like one of the the things that would be great within video game preservation is to be able to like play a snapshot of a game at at any point during its release like if it was publicly available at 1.01 and then 1.02 I think it would be great if we could go back and play those different versions. And there's so many times that we're like, oh, well, you know, the game was preserved, but which version is it? You know, yeah. was it the final version? Um, yeah. When, when, when Blade Runner came out on Blu-ray, there were five versions of it on the, <laughs> on the disc. Yeah. And the original theatrical version and then Ridley Scott like made a different version for a festival and then he changed the ending and then there's a director's because this is like five versions and with video games I mean I've had video games update five times in a week Mm -hmm. you know and there are some memories that I have very vivid memories that were glitches you know I would love to go back and like replay that uh, that particular game with a glitch after you know like in the moment I'm probably angry but like that's I don't. I've been playing Destiny with uh, with Lara, uh, who's been on the show before, and it is it has been so funny to just call out all of these glitches and all of these things that have been happening. And that is that is a part of the story that we're telling. You know, that is a part of our experience. And once that's patched out, then we you know that that version of it is gone. The possibility of that particular experience is no longer possible. Yeah, I mean, hearing you talk about this, it just makes me think of of PUBG and how many versions I have played. I mean, I was playing <laughs> yeah. it before it came out officially when it was still in, in alpha and beta, actually, I think. Um, but yeah, it's like, has somebody saved all of that stuff? I mean, I'm sure you can go back and look at the patch notes, but that doesn't necessarily show you like down to the code what has been changed. And and more importantly, uh, the developer notes as to why it was changed, because I think that is the most infor- you know important information is once we start understanding the why of stuff. I love to read patch notes. I love them. <laughs> I, I mean, I mean, I mean for everything. Like, I love to re, you know see like, oh, I've got thirty five updates on my phone. Let me see what each of their apps uh, are changing. And some of them are very generic. You know, yeah. Facebook is like, every two weeks we, you know, we improve our app to bring you the best service possible. But others like prose and poems and and, and some uh, you know have a lot of fun with it and some like are very very clear about what's happening you know like some of you were having this issue so we fixed that some of you were having this problem on this device and we fixed that and I don't know I love that stuff I love I love all of that information and with video games it's the same thing you look at the patch notes and some of them are very detailed and some of them just aren't yeah it's I mean you know it's the difference between being like uh, this was broken so I, I, f- I turned it off or I fixed it Versus like, oh, you know, this 
line of code specifically had a misplaced decimal, so I moved it over here, which solved the problem of, you know, spawn rate or, you know, whatever. But, like, getting more detailed about that stuff um, lets us understand it better. Yeah. A lot of games get rebalanced. Mm-hmm. So, like, a fighting game might be your favorite fighting game because you have this one character that is so overpowered <laughs> over everybody else, and now it's your favorite game. And then a patch comes in, balances everything out, and now you can't beat anybody with that character because he's been nerfed. And, like, that's just that's just part of game development, right? That's happening all the time. Uh, man, I really wish you could roll back. Like, there there are very few examples of anything uh, like that that I can think of other than well, like the Spyro trilogy that's coming out. I know you can play the old music over the new game mm-hmm. um, in the uh, anniversary edition of Halo 1. You can make it look like the original game at any moment by just pressing a button while you're playing. That's really cool because it's like, oh, like this is a remake, but like this is, the, this is what the original looked like. What else? I know uh, Blizzard's been talking about setting up a server for vanilla Des- uh, destiny vanilla <laughs> wow yeah i think so yeah and like that's something that people have been wanting and even then it's like well which version you yep. know because that game was constantly being patched but a lot of people want to go back and play the original game because that game is a live service that you pay a monthly fee for and at one point i don't know how many years ago i think it was cataclysm they destroyed the game world so everything changed. Mm-hmm. So it literally wasn't the same game. Like you couldn't even, it's not like when you have the first one and then a sequel comes out. It's like they just got rid of the first game, <laughs> basically, yep. or the original version of different places and and just there was something new. I don't know. That's, oh, Final Fantasy XIV is, is, is something like that too. They released the game and everyone was like, that's garbage. They're like, okay, we'll be right back. And then they, they redid everything. Um, but like you can't go back, you know? But the idea, I, I mean, uh, Square is never going to go back to <laughs> <laughs> the original Final Fantasy XIV, but it's incredible that Blizzard is talking about setting up a, a version of the original WoW. Yeah, and and I mean, th- this is perhaps a, a good uh, thread to follow. The, the difference between an originally released game and like an HD re-release or what have you, the the fancy updated, um, we put it on to PS4 even though it came out on PS2. Like, those games are changed by that transition and understanding, like, how they changed and where they changed and why they changed is is important to understanding all of that stuff. Like, I, I'm a big Silent Hill fan and when they, when they released the HD remastered version of Silent Hill 2 and 3 on... Um, gosh, on, on PS3, I think, uh, when when that came out, there was like a big hullabaloo about the, um, the voice actors. They didn't want to pay the original voice actors, so they hired new voice actors. And admittedly, the voice actors were not great in the originals, but some of their stilted, awkward line readings were really fitting for the game. And so when they redid it, it didn't work as well and it changed a lot of the tone of some of the scenes which you know is is really important to a game that is about its themes and and uh aesthetic and narrative and and changing the way that line reads are can change the way that your players are taking in that information you're trying to communicate to them and and so like that's another layer of like even games that are technically being quote unquote preserved by publishers who are re-releasing them to try and get more money 
cough Nintendo cough. Uh, we are losing something in that. I mean, sure, certainly we are gaining things as well. There's more accessibility for the newer consoles, and we're getting new people to play games that they might not have otherwise interacted with. But we need to be cognizant of of the differences and, and you know, treasure them, I guess. I just, I don't want to lose any of this this stuff. I think it's important for understanding games as a whole and, and us as people who play them. Yeah, like I I actually like it when things are patched and updated and I like, you know, some changes you like and some changes you don't. But yeah, like of a course. a re-release or an HD remaster, like I am all about that. Yes, please make <laughs> the game. Because in a way, in many ways, it's making the game, sometimes it's making it better, but at the very least it's making it current. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes just at the base level of just being currently available because sometimes a game isn't available to purchase, for example. So I'm all about that and I get very very excited. I've bought a lot of um, re-releases. I've bought many games multiple times over different consoles, whether or not there were big changes to them. And, and I get excited about that. But I agree that like, I, I wish, like, I love the idea of museums having these versions that I can go back to and revisit. Oh, man, I would love like a, a museum hallway that had like every iteration of a game, like from like very early prototyping to like the HD <laughs> re-release 40 years later or whatever like that would be so cool to be able to see every every version of it and watch how it grows and and shifts and shapes around you know the developers interests or desires and and playtesting reveals and stuff like that is oh that would be so yeah cool. yeah like here's the alpha version that we showed investors here's the e3 demo we showed behind closed doors etc yeah. and it just keeps going oh i'd love that that would be so that cool. would be, i know <laughs> yeah, that would be great <laughs> what what game would you love to see that for like is there one Ooh, um i don't know there's a, i mean there's a lot of games that i would i would love to see all of all of the pieces of i mean i'm a big Legend of Zelda fan so the idea of having like a museum that is like the Legend of Zelda museum and it has all of the games and all of the artwork and uh, you know the toys and the review articles and the prototypes and the demos and oh god that would be just amazing that's that's a great answer <laughs> that's I a really just... good answer between like the trailers that have been out the like all the merchandise available. Oh, well, I'm man. I'm just picturing like walking into, you know, this big room full of like plastic recreated objects from the game and then going like, oh, around this corner's, you know, the the Game Boy handheld Zeldas and you can go in there and you can check out Link's Awakening and you can, <laughs> you can play uh the Oracle of Seasons. And you can see all of the like, oh, if you go down this other hallway, you can look at all of the music from the game and actually see how they, you know, the process of, of you know, designing the music and implementing it inside of games, especially the older games where it's like the cartridges are so tiny and they managed to fit a whole game and a whole soundtrack on there. Like, that's crazy. Like, that stuff is so cool. I would love to see all of that stuff. I want this very, very I'm badly. Getting, I'm getting so pumped about this I imaginary <laughs> Legend of Zelda museum. <laughs> uh, Legend of Museum? Museum of Zelda? Probably Museum, museum of Zelda. Museum of Zelda. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, God, that'd be so cool. 
Um, have you heard of the Zelda game that was only released through a satellite system in Japan? No. Okay, so I don't know how to pronounce this, but it's spelled like Saint Giga, like G-I-G-A. Okay. And there was a satellite gaming service in Japan connected to the Super Nintendo, I believe. And then for six weeks, I believe, I hope I'm not getting any of this uh, wrong. They basically broadcast this game that would beam down at a very specific time to your console. And then it was a 16-bit remake of the original Legend of Zelda where you could choose like uh, two different characters at the beginning, two different versions of Link, and then you would play through just one part of it, which was one dungeon. It had six dungeons, and the dungeons were different, but it was basically supposed to be like a remix version of the original in 16-bit. And the only way you could play that was if you were at there at that very specific time to download that piece that was that you could play. And I also believe it had voiceover. It is something that I, there are videos of it now because that's wild. Yeah, yeah. People have um, people were able to save the file that downloaded, and there are versions of it available. And I've seen it being played, but it's like it's almost impossible <laughs> to get your hands on that. And Nintendo could have just released that at any moment, but but they didn't. And that's like such a moment in time that you you can't get back, right? Like, just the context of it all. Like, just to think that you could play a video game over satellite in the 90s was, it's like, it just, it doesn't sound, it sounds like science fiction, right? It doesn't sound like something yeah. that was possible. But that, that game is real. And so few people ever played it. I want that in the museum, by the way. That, <laughs> yes, that definitely. Room. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's, that's so cool. Yeah. But nobody, but it's like, it wasn't preserved, right? That's what we're talking yeah. about. Uh, and it never came to the U.S. So Yeah, and I mean, that's certainly a big part of it is like, you know, games that weren't ever localized or whatever. There's a, a big shout out to all the pirates and hackers who were making people's dreams come true by <laughs> stealing that stuff and putting it online where you can download it and, and actually localizing games that never got localization and fan subs all sources yes thank you fan subs even when you're kind of terrible i appreciate your hard work but uh i mean we're talking a lot about console games specifically but this applies to you know little flash games from 2003 also like that that stuff is also part of games and games history and and even though perhaps they have lower impact though i would argue that most people i know who are into games now uh if they are my age or older they also played a bunch of like new ga- new grounds flash games yeah uh- so, so, like the the context of of different console generations i don't know it's easier to talk about playstation mm-hmm. one two three and four you know <laughs> that's it yeah and, right? and that stuff's owned by sony so it's like they're responsible for their own stuff well, like uh, rights and distribution and all that stuff gets com- complicated. But like, yeah. if you go out of the console space and you just go into Commodore sixty four and like Tandy computers and like ColecoVision and all these other consoles and systems and things that had their own formats, their own mm-hmm. um, like you couldn't play one thing on another thing, just like the consoles now. But there were so many at a time, and now when you bring phones into it. It's the same problem. And computers, too. I think right now it obviously makes a lot of sense to, that you can buy a computer game from, I don't know, how far back you can go to a Windows game and still play it on a computer. And it should be good, right? Like, for the most part, 
doesn't mm-hmm. need an update because you can play like within a shell and stuff and, and it should work okay. But browser-based games like Flash games, Chrome, uh, Google Chrome just removed Flash support from its from its browser a few months ago and that killed thousands of games. Who knows how many, maybe millions of games because a lot of Flash games are like very simple, right? Yeah. It just completely, you just can't play them anymore on the most popular browser in the world. So... What do you do? <laughs> do? Do you rewrite the game? Do you like? Is there is there a Flash emulator out there? I haven't I haven't looked into that. But where they lived originally, now they're they're dead. It's like, yeah. well, I made a game and I hosted it on a GeoCity site, and now do I have to download that and send that somewhere so that it's still playable? Like, there's a lot of stuff going on. For, yeah, for, I mean, there, there's a, there's a lot of games that. They are in this sort of in-between purgatory space where the original developer or whoever owned the rights to the game either have disappeared or aren't doing anything with the game. And so it's like you have games where it's like the only way to find or play them is through technically illegal means of pirating or emulating them. And it's like... You can make an argument whether stealing is good or bad in this case, but like, and are you stealing? Well, yeah. I mean, that's where I stand on it, but I recognize I don't. I'm just asking the question. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just it's like that's that stuff is being preserved by independent, you know, hackers and pirates, cool people on the internet. Um, Instead of the people who or companies who originally made it. And and it's, you know, a part of that is the there's not a lot of money in it. But yeah. Yeah. the argument I'm, I'm making here is there is a ton of value in it. Even if it doesn't make you money profit wise, it is important to games as a whole. I agree. I agree. But it's hard when, like, the original creator just doesn't care anymore, you know? Yeah, I mean, and it can just be, like, something, is, uh, like, somebody died. It's like the game Maybe developer died. Yeah. And it's like, what do, you, what do you do now? Who owns this copyright? Who owns uh, permissions to to spread this around? Or who can grant permissions for that kind of stuff? And I, I do not know, like, anything about copyright law, but I know it's hairy uh, to try and suss out all of that stuff. And, you know, like I said earlier, it's like every day we're getting further further away from this stuff and you know the new shiny game comes out and everybody wants to to pay attention to that thing which is good and great and and we should pay attention to to current things that are happening but i don't think it should be at the expense of preserving the history of games we we could just go over and over the different consoles and versions and things like that but i think that some especially now like with online games and things like that there are certain things that kind of stand out Mm -hmm. well I, i was i was starting to talk about mobile and mobile is a weird one too because like if the io if the if like ios or the the android operating system gets updated and your game is no longer supported like app development is really hard because mm-hmm. you constantly have to update to to meet with the new phones or the the updated operating system and then for all the reasons we mentioned before right like you just stop supporting that so 
you need like an old Nokia phone to be like, <laughs> right, to, to to be able to run a particular game yeah. or um, lots of Java games that used to run on older cell phones. Uh, in a lot of these situations, you literally need the equipment, right? Even even in these cell phones, it's the same thing, yep. right? Like it's it's easier to get an old phone to a, like I can bring my iPhone back a, a couple versions right on on an operating system and run something in a particular way that is doable but something like i was playing a game called marvel heroes omega and all, out of nowhere the company was like yep we're shutting down in two weeks and that was a completely online game and the moment they did that i couldn't play that game anymore i was playing it on xbox and playstation i had spent money on it i really liked it. i was playing with my friends and just died like it just completely oh. there isn't even like a version that i can play that's not online it's just gone I can't yeah. download it from the from the app store anymore. Even if I could, it wouldn't connect. Like if it's still on my console, it can't connect to anything because the servers are down. Like that's that's a that's a new problem that we have. It's the same problem, but it's a new version of it. Yep. On November 3rd, the Geek Therapy community is participating in the annual Extra Life Marathon, where we play games for 24 hours to raise funds for Children's Miracle Network hospitals around the world. Since 2008, Extra Life has raised more than $40 million for sick and injured kids. If you want to help out, you have two options. Visit geektherapy.com slash extra life. And one, join our team and raise funds from friends and family and play on November 3rd. Or two, donate right now to any member of Rare Candy. On November 3rd, Geek Therapy will be streaming live for 24 hours as we continue to raise funds on game day. Visit geektherapy.com slash extra life to learn more, join our team, or donate. Thank you, and I hope to see you on November 3rd. I was thinking about the 3DS recently. I remember when the 3DS came out, it was so cool to play a game in 3D. That is going to be really hard to preserve unless you have <laughs> a 3DS yeah. lying around. It's almost impossible because it's designed so specifically to that platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you think of any other things that are the like outliers are just like strange or things that are happening now that weren't happening uh, before? Um. Well, an example that comes to mind for me when when I was a wee lass uh, my when when we got our first uh, family computer in the house my grandparents took me to a Costco and we bought like a um, a kids educational game like demo pack I I remember the box (laughs) it came with six CDs in it um, they weren't full games. They were just like demo versions of educational games, but it had like math blasters in it. I'm sure that's that's a mm-hmm. popular one people will remember, but I don't even remember what the other games were. But I spent a lot of time playing those those games. And I don't know if they're I don't remember the titles of them. So it would be really hard for me to find them again. But even if I could find them again, I don't know if I could find like specifically those you know those demo discs the ones that came in the pack from costco uh i'd have to be running it on a computer that oh god what came before windows 95 i think that computer had windows 95 i think that that was our first os but 3.1 something like yeah, that it's, yeah it's just like that that stuff that i remember very fondly is as being important to me i wonder about like kids who are growing up on ipad games right now what games that they're going to be like, oh, that game, that's my childhood. That game is my childhood. I remember that game. And it's like, well, gosh, I sure hope somebody saved that off of the App Store. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's a version of where in the USA is Carmen Sandiego mm-hmm. that is specific to one state. It's, uh, 
I think it's South Dakota, right? South Dakota, right? One, is it? Yeah, one, I think yeah. it's South Dakota. <laughs> where where in South Dakota is Carmen San Diego? Maybe yeah, it's North it was... Dakota. If it's North Dakota, I am very sorry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's Dakota. One of those dang Dakotas. I, I never knew that would, that existed, but I'm sure a lot of people in one of the Dakotas played it. And it was like a deal with the schools system yeah, or something. Yeah, yeah stuff yeah. like that where it's like really small scale projects that had really focused intentions, educational games particularly. But stuff like that is so interesting. Um, and, and when we lose that stuff, we lose the, the sort of background of what we are growing off of, right? Because we're always being inspired by the things that we encounter. So it's like game developers, especially people who are designing education educational games are they're playing these things and then using that to build their ideas off of and if we don't have that background space it's all guesswork as to like where these ideas came from or if it's you know a totally original idea that's important to know also but you can't you can't really prove it if you don't have all that contextual data have you ever played with a streaming service like PlayStation Now? I have not. Uh, so the way that works is that on a PS4, I can play PS3 games and they're not being emulated on the PS3 or on the PS4. They're basically playing off of a PS3 that's somewhere else. Uh-huh. And then I'm playing it live on the PS4. So Sony has invested a lot in this company called Gaikai and it's like this Again, you're streaming. Uh, you can do that with computers. Uh, you can play a game that's running off of a higher end computer than yours. Mm-hmm. As long as your internet is good, then you can play. You know, you can play Crisis, the latest <laughs> Crisis, <laughs> right on your on your you know garbage laptop because it's really running off of something else. And I wonder how much that's possible for a lot of these older systems. Like I like that's kind of the dream that I could just tap into a, a library of games that are being Again, not even emulated, but actually running off of it's probably still emulation, right? But something that that approximates it uh, very closely, so that I can actually play the thing. And I mean, that's that's just like one part of the solution. Like, uh, Super Smash Brothers Ultimate is coming out soon, and Nintendo is releasing another GameCube controller adapter and re-releasing the GameCube controller again. <laughs> yep, okay? because yep. that controller <laughs> is so weird and it is so integral to the experience of playing that game for so many people that they're re-releasing again till we we it's on the switch now so we had the wii u and the wii i think the right? game came out in like 2003 so this is mm-hmm. like 15 years old controller uh-huh. that people are still like demanding <laughs> because that's how you play the game even because, though it's a different game now right yep <laughs> yep and so even if you did the streaming like so really, the 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 solution would be some sort of supercomputer that could emulate everything as close as possible to the originals, and then you have a collection of controllers, <laughs> so you could play oh, the original version. I, I heard someone talk about the Mega Man collections recently, and they said that because of the time and the technology of televisions, the way the game was designed, literally the way it was programmed, it was programmed with CRT televisions mm-hmm. in mind so that it would look a certain way when it was shown on that screen. And now we have much higher resolution screens where we can't see the pixels. And so they put different filters on the game because they're really not sure what the original artist's intent was for how the game was supposed to look. Yeah. Because the way it looks is designed specifically for the technology at the time. But like yep. in their mind, it, pro- it may have looked very different. We don't know what that is. So here are like two or three different filters to give you different versions of what 
maybe they wanted it to look like or maybe what you remember or maybe like maybe you had a much better tv like maybe it looked way different on a like a dlp projection tv than uh than a crt for example i don't know yeah and and the the change in you know the normal aspect race ratio of you know old tvs old games are all squares and then now everybody's got widescreen all the time so it's like the way uh game scenes are designed are cha- have changed and the way that designers utilize like focal points has changed because even though the medium of video games is still the medium of video games it has changed it has changed via consoles and and the screens that we we watch them through or play interact with them through i mean touch screens is like huge game changer mm-hmm. yeah. uh, and it's like it's like there are games that were created with no intention of being touch controllable like yeah not yep. even not even imagination land version of that <laughs> but i could play it on an, uh, there are games that i you know older games actually i played um this was a while ago but i downloaded uh a Game Boy emulator onto my smartphone and played Link's Awakening on my phone. And I ended up giving up because not having the button feedback made the game too hard for me. Yeah. Um, just, you know, trying to do the, the directional controls on a touch screen. I kept falling into pits. But it's like, it's, <laughs> it's like the, that, that goes the other way too, where it's like our, you know, I don't know what the future is going to look like, but maybe we don't end up using touch touch elements as much as we do now. And are there going to be touchscreen games that are totally inaccessible because we don't have touch technology anymore? I don't think that's going to happen, but you know, it's one of those things where it's like you gotta you gotta consider both directions. But we already have the problem where the DS and the 3DS those aren't capacitive touchscreens, mm-hmm. so like the technology is even completely different than what we have now a screen that has multi-touch capabilities, like the original iPhone didn't, I don't think. So as long as you can do one tap, you're good. You need a screen that can hold multiple points. Again, like the technology will get better, so it'll cover a lot of areas, but that's still a lot of different versions of the same technology to consider depending on when the game was released. Mm-hmm. Like you'd have to rewrite the game to work with a capacitive touch screen versus the kind that's on the DS. Yeah, and I, I mean, we haven't even really touched on VR at all, but VR has actually been around for a long time, but that that technology has changed so much. Like, there are old VR games that would not at all work on an HTC Vive and vice versa, but it's like, yeah. it's important to recognize that those those older, I wish I wasn't forgetting the name of the the really old VR headset I'm thinking of, but it was, it was just like... Uh, lines on a black field basically was all that was graphically capable of but something like that was obviously inspirational to current vr games and and ideas of what we can do with vr and so saving that stuff um, tells us a lot about people and you know what we think and dream and and try and do and fail to do and all that stuff is is really cool and, and interesting and valuable so I just found my N64. I'm I'm so jealous. <laughs> I'm so happy. I haven't I, I opened to make sure like it has the memory expansion, so I'm good to go. I can play any game on there. I I haven't found any games yet. I don't know if there are any around, but I'm I'm very excited. And I'm remembering that obviously I'm I can remember the first time I played Mario 64, right? That's like it's an incredible memory. Yeah. And then I ended up getting Mario 64 DS. 
And I remember being so angry. Like the, the N64 controller, unique controller, had an analog stick and the DS didn't. So to do analog controls, you had to use a stylus on the bottom screen, which is mm-hmm. just as bad as the touchscreen like D-pads, right? That, yep. that we That we get. It's horrible. But then I'm thinking... But apparently, I never got rid of my N64. <laughs> Why did I rebuy this on the on the Nintendo DS? It looked better, and I played so much of that game and the mini games and stuff. But I never want to sell uh, one of my old consoles again. And that's like it's something I think about a lot now. When I actually when I found it two Sega Genesis in that in that bag, I was really excited because for a moment I thought it was my Sega Genesis and my sister's Sega Saturn. <laughs> and I was like, oh, are you kidding me? Is the Sega Saturn here? Like, how did I let this happen? Then yesterday I started looking up all over the house. I was like, is my Dreamcast here? Like, <laughs> well, what else is around here? I got really excited. And like, I feel this sadness about having sold all of my old consoles. Like, I also feel like kind of stupid now. But I mean, at the time when I did it, I I did it because I was a kid and I couldn't afford like the next thing. So I had to trade yeah. in stuff to get the next thing. And that's why I traded in a whole bunch of games. I wasn't thinking about game preservation. I wasn't thinking about, you know, man, when I'm in my 30s, I'm really going to want to play that, that, you know, that Sega Saturn game again. I really miss Sega 3D Blast and the Sega Saturn, <laughs> <laughs> you know. Um, but like I have really great memories of some of those games, like an all nighter with my mom playing Tetris Plus. But that was like a game on the Sega Saturn. The more I think about it, the sadder it, it makes me. And just just last year when the Switch came out, I was like, I don't have the money to buy the Switch. So I ended up trading in my 3DS and my Vita. So much regret. You have no idea. It's only <laughs> been a year. And I'm like, oh no, Like, why did I do that? Why? I mean, and I love my Switch, but I still regret that so yeah. much. Like We're living in a world where I, I could just get a Vita and my entire library is still there because it's on my PlayStation account. With 3DS, not so much, but I still kept yeah. some of the games because I was thinking, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be able to, uh, one day I'll get the system again and, and replay them. Like, I'm trying to do it smarter, but it, it's so sad that to be able to play all these old games, I'm going to have to, you know, have a room full of old consoles and computers and phones and <laughs> computers with old operating systems and old versions of browsers and all this weird setup to be able to just play the games that I like. Yep. So sad. Well... It's good that there are people who care about this stuff and are preserving it in museums and personal collections and stuff like that. So I'm yeah. glad. I'm glad that I'm glad that people care about this because um, I keep running across uh, and I and I did not double check if this statistic is correct, but I, <laughs> I read that 80 percent of American cinema before 1930 is is gone it's lost the film has deteriorated it has disappeared it has burned up or washed away it is gone and that is a bunch of film history lost it Um, it also used to just be thrown away because people thought that no one would ever watch it again yeah and you know like there are plenty of games now that people are like why would you want to preserve this garbage and you know maybe to a certain extent i can agree but i do think that even the bad stuff, even the failed projects, the abandoned uh, pieces of of unfinished games, all of that stuff is important and and adds to our understanding of games and it and uh, from that to ourselves because games games are art. They are a part of our culture and our societies, and it says stuff about 
you know, what we care about and what what we believe and what we think is important and valuable and all of that stuff should be treasured and, and shared and studied so that we, you know, do better in the future. Video games really are experiences. Mm-hmm. But I know that I can't just like redo my visit to Disney. I know that because it gets yeah. different. But when you pay for the TV and the console and the game and you like you pay for all that and then you lose it, there's something there's something that feels very strange about that too. Again, as a, as a consumer, mm-hmm. not even considering all the all the other great stuff. Is there anything that you are? Is there any concern that you have right now as we wrap up? Any concern about? Uh, Video game preservation, like things that maybe you enjoy now, are you? Do you have any concerns? What do you What do you mean? So I still have my PS3 somewhere, and I have my Wii U in the box because I bought a lot of old games from the Virtual Console, and it looks like Nintendo is not going to do a Virtual Console. Forget the museums, right? Mm-hmm. Forget that. Like I paid money to have Super Metroid on the TV, and I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. And the only way to do that is to is to plug in my my Wii U. How long am I going to have to keep my Wii U around? How long am I going to have to give it maintenance? Yeah. And how how long is Nintendo going to maintain those servers before they turn those off too? Like I downloaded it right there. So so Okay, that's good. <laughs> so I have it on the console and it's also like the Zelda branded one, which which I love, so like Hell I, yeah. I never want to get rid of it, but I don't buy physical books, I don't buy physical comics. I don't buy physical games. I don't have room for that stuff. I move around a lot. I like to travel. I cannot have boxes and boxes of all the things. All the things that I that I own, but that I'm I'm not going to use them now, but someday. Yeah. That's a big concern of mine. Like am I going to keep my PS4? Like yeah, Xbox right now is 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 backwards compatible with 360, but not everything. Yeah. There are a lot of games that you still need your 364. Will they ever get to all of them? Absolutely not. There's Will we no ever way. get there's to no play way. Scott Pilgrim ever again? Will we ever get to play PT? You know, like there's all uh, these things that. that ha! Are... The PS4 at the house I'm at has has PT downloaded. Ha ha ha! <laughs> so, like, how many people are afraid that their PS4 is going to die or that their hard drive is going to crash and they'll they're going to yeah lose and they'll lose PT. that yeah yeah that you can't download and it. and the the longer it is since then the more likely to get console failure you are. This but... is what keeps me up at night. Lauren. <laughs> yes, those are definitely concerns of mine. Um, another concern is that I, I use Steam for basically all of my my PC games. Mm-hmm. And while there is something very convenient about having all of my games in one place, it is kind of terrifying to think what kind of control Steam has over things that should technically, quote unquote, belong to me. That goes into whole, the whole rights, right? Like when you buy a game, you're never buying, like you don't own the game, you own a copy or particular yeah. rights to a game. Like that's, yeah, yeah but, and uh, everything okay. that's, yeah, yeah, no, no, but I, I'm with you. My Steam collection, the day Valve is like, we don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> We're going to shut down all the servers and you the fine print showed you that, you know, it, you only have access to this game as long as we are up and running. Well, and, and it's stuff like you can you can get banned from Steam and lose access to all of the games that you had, which Is like cer- certainly I think some people should be banned. But I, I don't think <laughs> that that means they shouldn't get to play the games that they purchased. Yeah. Um, I, I read an article the other day about a guy who's emotionally abusive dad they had a shared steam account and when when his dad uh just 
abandoned the family and left, he he uh, changed the password so his son couldn't access those games anymore. And it was just like a whole thing of fighting with Steam to try and get access again and try and explain it. But being, you know, he didn't have the credit card associated with it because he was obviously he was a kid. Kids don't have credit yeah, cards. Yeah, but yeah. just like this whole thing about who owns what and and that that is really reflective of the games industry as whole as a whole and ownership and and from that being like is ownership meaning you are the only one who gets to make money off of it or does it also mean you are responsible for preserving it and making sure that it it is maintained as part of video games history and that's where i fall down that's where i like i'm a big nintendo girl but like i am very mad at nintendo for the way that they treat older games and games history and and having access to things it's not great, but uh Nintendo does a lot of things not great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a shame that they put out such good games I keep giving them money, but um <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, it's basically where I'm coming out here is like I want people to recognize that this stuff is important and and it's not looking at it from a broader perspective. It's not just your individual personal game experience, though that is so important. It's also all of the stuff, the amorphous fog of the video games industry and marketing and sales and history and culture and all of that stuff. It, it, it all matters and it, it helps us understand ourselves better. And I, I think that that's cool. So uh, I want to wrap up with like the future things that I'm concerned about. Mm-hmm. One of them you just reminded me of, it is cloud saves. Yes. So not only your game, it's like your actual progress can be tied into a shared account, an online account or anything, right? Like that stuff. And like we we're, we are really trusting of companies' servers, right? They have backups and stuff. But technically, like in the movies, like somebody could go in and just like wipe everything and then you lost yep. all your stuff. So that's a, that's a relatively new thing. And if one day Sony was like, oops, we got hacked and we lost all your cloud saves... <laughs> Oh my god! Oh yeah, uh, yeah. that would like, be worse when than when they got hacked and lost all of the credit card information. <laughs> People would be way worse. more upset. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, last week we mentioned uh, Fallout Three, and one of the things that I'm I'm still most angry about is that um, my PS3 died right before cloud saves were part of PS Plus, and I lost my Fallout Three save. Oh no! Right before I beat the game, like oh, I, I had gotten no. to the end, and then I just started doing all the side stuff, and I was like, I'm gonna come back and beat it later, and and I yeah, lost it. I was like, wiped. you know, I'm yeah. I was like, you know, I'm not going to start again. It's so bad that I I I couldn't bring myself to start Fallout Four. That's how <laughs> like oh, that that really really affected you got, me. You got burned so hard. <laughs> and then it was like literally two weeks before PS Plus added cloud saves. You know, it was like oh something. It was very very so frustrating. But that's the thing. And uh, and now the thing that I mean concerns me the most is uh, services like Game Pass, where. Uh, the Xbox Game Pass, which, okay, now I'm subscribing, and while I'm subscribing, I have access to these games. Or even PS Plus, the games that you get for free are only playable while you're still paying your subscription. Mm-hmm. So I I get that. I completely get that. But until now, every single game, you could also buy it if you wanted. You could, you yeah. could buy a copy of it. But anyone who uses Netflix knows that there are things that are exclusive to Netflix that you can't get anywhere else. Like, yeah. they actually 
like take their most popular series like uh, House of Cards and we'll put them on Blu-ray. So you could buy them if you wanted to. But the moment that Netflix is like, I don't want to show that anymore, then it, it, it's done. The moment, and then and it's inevitable, that gaming companies start putting games exclusively on a streaming platform, which means you can only play Halo 7 if you're a Game Pass subscriber. <laughs> then yeah. not only do you have to like, you have to be able to afford to continually play it, but at any moment they could be like, oh yeah, we're done. Like uh, they just did this with Forza, Forza Horizon 2 will no longer be available for purchase. They're just, they're going to pull it from the store. Yeah. And right before Horizon 4 comes out. So, I need to buy that now if I ever want to play it later. I guess I could get a physical copy too, you know, but it's like it's it's just not available. It's out of it's out well, of Well, and as as we go forward, less and less games are getting physical releases. I mean, most of the games that I I have played recently did have physical releases, but uh n- like majority vast majority of their sales were were digital copies. So it's like you know, <laughs> it's like finding a specific game disc from 10 years ago might be kind of hard now, but in another 10 years when there are even fewer produced physical copies of things, like it's just going to get harder and harder and harder. And that's why we need to start focusing on it as as like a whole group of players, the designers, the developers, musicians, everybody involved needs to be like taking notes. And uh, you know, I'm not condoning piracy, but be a pirate. <laughs> You and I see digital games favorably because mm-hmm. we have good internet and we can download them and yes. it's not a problem. Some people do not have that, right? Like for some mm-hmm. people it take forever. As someone who, again, I, I lived through Hurricane Maria and then had no internet for three months. One of my uh, most vivid memories from that time was that I had no power and no internet when Mario Odyssey came out, that was hard. Like I, I tried everything possible. I managed to figure it out. Yeah, I remember you told me you were like waiting until like three or four a.m. It took me multiple days to download oh, it. God. Only like late at night on a using my cell phone as a hotspot at lower than like the hoops I w- I had to go through because <laughs> you there were, were no doing shipments triple, coming in. Triple backflip, sick triple Mario moves, wall jumps. Yep. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> Right. And so like when everything's working fine, right? Like there there are other concerns, but like there there are also physical um limitations to this stuff and I don't Absolutely. Know, there's a lot of stuff again, Game Pass, I love it. Game Pass concerns me a lot <laughs> because we're moving in that direction. And I don't know, it feels different with games, you know? I think it's inevitable it won't bother us that much. But man, again, it's just it just it's a lot of money. Now uh, Media is being put in a, it's existing in a way that takes money to keep it alive. Mm-hmm. And that is what concerns me. There's a lot of stuff, like you mentioned. I agree. Probably one of the saddest things for me is that I can't play Scott Pilgrim anymore. And I think even if I plug in my PS3, I don't think I can download it either. I don't think it's available nope. to, for purchase, right? It is Ubisoft not. pulled it down. Yeah, it's, It is on inaccessible at this point. And it was digital only, so there's no physical copy. Yep. I'm almost certain it's on my PS3, but then I have to plug in my PS3. <laughs> Ooh. Well, I'm glad that places like the Video Game History Foundation are really, really working hard on that. Uh, some of the people behind that are also, they also run this website called Lost Levels, which is really cool. It's all about unreleased games. So like it, yeah, it shows you- Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it shows you developed game, like games that were in development that you maybe heard about but never came out. They find as much as they can about them and, and, and have information about 
that. And there's other organizations too um, that are doing some good work in that area. Yeah, the Games Preservation Society, the Library of Congress is saving some games. Uh, the Internet Archive is working mm-hmm. really hard on on you know like the smaller flash games stuff like that. But yeah, yeah, there's there's hope out there. Yep. Just trying to trying to get the word out. And people all over the world are hoarding their old games and systems. So, <laughs> yep. so you know, ask around. <laughs> yep. Oh, oh, one thing I forgot to mention earlier. Um, people who who stream games or do let's plays are also a part of video game preservation. Absolutely. Seeing yeah. seeing people's uh like maybe not live, but but in person reactions to games and what they think and feel. Like that's as close as we're going to get to saving the actual experience of yeah. play. And yeah. so, uh, you know, maybe maybe you don't have a position uh, of, you know, f- financial ability or or time to spend actually collecting games and stuff. But, you know, maybe you uh, record yourself playing a game for the first time and, and that becomes a part of video game history. And that's yeah. how you can help out. And that's how you are helping out. Yep. Yep, yep, yep. There are yep. ways. Future looks bright. Feels good. Yeah. I'm worried, but you know, good stuff happening. <laughs> Terrified, but excited. <laughs> Bring back Scott Pilgrim, please. Yes, please. Is that the title of the episode? Maybe. I, I think that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to Headshots. Uh, you can find more headshots at headshotspodcast.com. We're on Twitter at headshotcast. I'm at Josue Cardona. Lauren is at Chicken Dinosaur. Definitely check out our Twitch streams. We play games. We're helping preservation at at twitch.tv slash geektherapy. And also check out our Discord server at geektherapy.com slash Discord where we can talk about all sorts of games and old games and new games. And uh, it's a good time. Thank you for listening. And we'll be back in two weeks. Bye. You've just listened to Headshots on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. Discuss this and all episodes on the network by visiting the Geek Therapy Forum at forum.geektherapy.com. And for extra content, including our monthly book club and other perks, consider becoming a member of Geek Therapy on Patreon for as little as $1 a month at patreon.com slash geektherapy.